So say you met someone who had never heard of John Ford, you know, had never seen any of his movies, had no kind of pre-existing thoughts uh, about John Ford. What would you tell them to expect? I would tell them to expect you're going to see a lot of things that you consider cliche, but at the time weren't necessarily very cliche. Uh, a lot of filmmakers have kind of taken a cue from him. So you'll see, you know, the, especially Western wise, like the typical Western man you think of the John Wayne type literally is John Wayne in his movies. And he's the one who basically discovered him and made him a star. So what you're going to see is a lot of things that you're very familiar with. You might be slightly unimpressed going into it thinking, okay, I've seen long shots before of great, you know, sights. I've seen this Western trope, but you got to understand at the time, it wasn't the norm. Hi, everyone, and welcome to an episode of a podcast directed by. So we are on our second director now, our second month, and we've already started to make changes to the show, which is uh, pretty stereotypical of me and Mike. Uh, maybe, maybe maybe mainly me. Like, whenever I've had a show, it's like every two two months or so, I'm like, yeah, we got to change everything up. I'm getting bored, so we gotta we got to throw everything into upheaval. And the way we're changing that uh, this, this time is throughout the month, you're going to hear... Another voice of an interview I did about John Ford, and that voice you're hearing, probably have heard already at this point, is Paul Ponte from the Screen Watchers Guild, who is our resident John Ford expert, unlike uh, the two of us, which we'll get into. So, Mike, uh, I know you're really excited to talk about John Ford, uh, my my choice for this month. Uh, so what was your... What was your experience with John Ford movies, and are you looking forward to this at all? Where Where are you with John Ford? I'll, I'll take this, uh, I guess, in parts here. Uh, my choice was Billy Wilder. I have that in mind as I'm watching these films this month. I think they might have been a little more fun. Basically the, the one... same. Same thing. Yeah, sure. I'd like to, I, I think some like it hot, and the film we're going to be discussing <laughs> later on this episode, same tone, same Definitely. shenanigans, confusion <laughs> abounds. Um, so, no, I was not that familiar with him other than searchers and stagecoach which um does five came back count like no. i know him as a character <laughs> right right <laughs> uh and that's from the book uh also that uh, you got me not oh, I, I haven't true. watched the netflix series so i'm not even it's not like i just you know watch the movie version of the book so so how does that uh, color your expectation uh well i mean okay so in that that particular subject it was wartime so a lot of it was with that influence so it's covering that particular point in in his career um i mean i, I found him interesting but <laughs> not necessarily likable and i think that'll come up <laughs> that'll come up in some of his uh hitchcockian sort of tactics he had with his uh actors yeah i've heard um, i've heard some of that yep like apparently he he constantly like insulted the actors and like really pushed them like good he, motivation I, yeah i think he got punched a couple times on set yeah um it had me more interested <laughs> than <laughs> when it came time to do this podcast and i was looking at the filmography and the subject matter I guess, uh, you know, this guy, he, he liked troubled characters uh -huh. and normally I'm all for that, 
but <laughs> but if we're gonna do ten straight, <laughs> you know, versions, it's of, a lot of, of trouble. That, yeah, it's a lot of trouble. It's a lot of. Uh, a lot of sadness, you know, a lot of foreboding. Uh, I'm just talking about this podcast, a podcast directed by <laughs> no longer John Ford. Uh, so this one, uh, I'm not considering it homework initially, but I may. We'll see how far <laughs> along we get in the process before I'm like, okay, this is just another assignment. But yeah, for the most part, uh, it is a pop culture gap for me, if you can call it that. Does yeah. John, uh, I don't know if they John pop Ford culture. Still, yeah, is he still relevant in pop culture no I, I don't think so yeah uh and that's not you know that's not a shot at him as a director that's just someone a, will take it as such though. i'm sure uh yeah there are certain podcasters i can think of already who would probably uh take that <laughs> as a as an insult but i bet they're fun at parties those yeah guys. i bet they're not listening so it's fine um i think would want them <laughs> i think that's um that's part of the issue that i have with the current cultural landscape is that, you know, we, we make fun of our, our friend over at the True Bromance uh, podcast, Barry, for this, about this, like, oh, it's made before 1980? Not interested. Don't want to see it. Don't care. Slow? Black and white? No thank you. Uh, but I think that's kind of the general attitude right now. It's like, you know, we talked early, on our early episodes about this idea of, like, I have to have a take, and I have to have a take now. Uh, and so we're so focused on the present and the future and you know, what, what pop culture means for the future of film that like the idea of watching movies from the 1930s and forties is completely foreign to people. It might as well be a foreign film at at this point. Um, so, so no, I don't think he's relevant in terms of being a pop culture phenomenon in any sense. I think he was one of those directors. There's no Hitchcockian term. No, not John Fordian. Fordian. No, Eh, it doesn't really work. Yeah. I, and he's a director that like I knew his name, but if you had told me before five came back, cause I, you know, oh, you were reading books. I'm watching TV shows. Which is... You got made fun of on the last <laughs> series for, for daring to read a book. And I actually came prepared this time. I don't have a book on John Ford, but I want to show you, uh, got this at a used bookstore for $8 and 56 cents. It's an actual book, not digital. Uh, oh, look at that. Look at John Wayne. Oh, and sure that's I have full nothing of but, uh, liberal goodness. That's, <laughs> Well, okay, don't paint me with that brush, um, because while I do lean uh, left and I've never had positive feelings about John Wayne, uh, I thought, uh, okay, let's let's go with the definitive look at uh, the life and the legend here. And <laughs> I'm hoping, you know, they include like the draft dodging segment of his life. And yes, all that. let's hope. Um, but I, I thought, uh, you know, he's going to be pretty important and that's Definitely. the only element of John Ford that I was aware of with the two films I'd watched. So that's what yeah, I'm going with. Same. I, I, those were the only two John Ford movies I'd seen. And if you had asked me before five came back to be like, you know, who's John Ford? It would have been like, uh, I feel like I know that name, but I couldn't really give you much information on it. And now that I kind of looked at our list of 10 movies we're going to do, it just like, it just screams like masculinity to me. Like it's all like war and Westerns. And like you said, all these troubled men. And I think it'll be interesting to look at because I think for the time, John Ford was actually pretty liberal leaning. Whereas like now we would look at his films as kind of the opposite of that. Um, so it'll be very much a different lens. We're Hell, kind of going Dave, in. <laughs> I was a uh, uh, pinko commie 15 years ago. And now I'm, <laughs> I'm some sort of blue dog, Democrat, conservative blowhard. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, on that note, though, um, the the author here, I realize since this is not a YouTube channel uh, video series, when I showed you the book, uh, it's of no service to our listeners. But this time around, if they want to 
for whatever reason, get ahead and read what I'm reading. Uh, it's by Scott Amon. I think that's how you say his name. E-Y-M-A-N. And apparently he's got a book on John Ford called Print the Legend, The Life and Times of John Ford. So I might have to double dip. Yeah, there you go. Don't hold me to it, though, because it's <laughs> barely... Oh, I won't. <laughs> Dave's like, you know, you're, you're supposed to be the uh, California elite, and you treat every time I bring up a book like, you know, you want to burn it or something. You're like, you're reading, disgusting. How dare you? Just wait for the Netflix series. <laughs> That's right, it's coming. Uh, so yeah, so I find myself looking forward to this, but kind of cautiously, uh, because I I have a feeling like as I kind of start this process, like I think I'm gonna like. There's a reason John Ford is highly thought of, um, but. We also have to remember that we're not taking a look at his first movie uh, because we like sound in our movies. Uh, and he kind of started for podcast as well. If you want to, you know, here's you a clip, drop a clip. <laughs> it's like just you know, dead silence for 10 seconds. And yeah. anyway, there it is. Yeah, <laughs> so, no context. You just have to take our word for it. Here's the faces they made. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So instead, uh, we're starting with one of his first uh, highly thought of films that had actual dialogue in. Uh, in the Informer, um, which is not a movie that is—I mean, it's—it's it's available, but it's—I don't think it's a movie that a lot of people have heard about. Like most of the mm. movies that we picked on this, like, oh, I've heard that name before. And then the Informer was on there. I was like, I have no idea what this is. I think it would be hard to get a movie like the Informer made now because someone would say, "There's no one likable in this movie. This, there's no hope. It's too dour. What's happening?" For like RKO to release this in the 30s is just – it's insanity. So what was your expectation of this movie kind of going in uh, to watching The Informer? Well, I did what some research oh, uh, again um, mainly because I thought about being a smartass and tweeting out, which I rarely do unless it's to at you uh, and be negative. Attack about me? Something. Yes. Yeah. Uh, your sleep cycles. I'm like, yeah, that's great. Now get off Twitter for your health. Like, get off your phone. Uh, see, I told you, I'm a, I'm a it's a good reminder. Honestly, <laughs> actually, does that make me a blowhard conservative? Because I think conservatives are they're pretty into their social media too. I think that makes you a <laughs> centrist. You're like right in the middle. <laughs> like, uh, that, then that's a negative term as well. Now um, it's all bad. So <laughs> instead of doing that, I'm actually paying attention. I'm looking at you when you're talking for the most part, but I do have like five screens in front of me. Uh, I got curious as I was waiting for you to get on Skype and I was like, you know what? If I miss this one, you know, or, or, or are the cinephiles, the film Twitter people, uh -huh. are they talking about this? So, you know, I went to the top tweets on John Ford, the informer, and that wasn't very helpful because <laughs> we're going back to like 2015. I'm like, okay, go to the latest, you know, who are the, who are the, the, the regular old Joes who are just watching this on TCM or whatever. And uh, there's a few, but it's like, you know, you, you have some pretty big gaps. Uh, recent one was June 21st, um, June 15th uh, at 1980 underscore Wes. Wes Hightower uh, has a, uh, I guess, a shot from this movie and says it was, according to him, if you can believe, and why wouldn't you believe, at 1980 underscore Wes. Um, <laughs> this is one of the films that Steven Spielberg watches before shooting a new project for inspiration. So mm. I think that probably fits because I'm looking and I'm not seeing a lot of people just bring this up. It's you know, right. uh, just in casual conversation. Um, but it seems like John Ford was a filmmaker's 
filmmaker, kind of mm-hmm. like, you know, he inspired a generation that you mentioned Barry from True Bromance Film Podcast, maybe on the edges of what he would go, like the 70s era filmmakers, the Spielbergs or Scorsese's and such. Well, they made it uh, into the 80s and 90s, so they're okay. <laughs> I mean, we can't knock the man. I don't know when Mr. Ford passed away, but you know, I'm not, I'm not going to knock him for, you know, not being available for Raiders. You know, yeah, 1973, he died. So didn't make it to the Indiana didn't Jones series. Quite make it to so clearly movies, according to our friends. My expectations for this one, I have to admit, I think I kind of twisted your arm to to include this one. Uh, we did? did have a little back and forth. <laughs> On because I think originally you had one that was a silent film, and I was like, uh, Dave, we uh, will that present some problems as far as discussing it, yes. you know, <laughs> podcast. Uh, and it was it was actually hard where we don't have that, you know, the uh, formative years of growing up with John Ford that were coming in kind of as a blank slate. That I don't have a preference, and boy, this would have been the time because both <laughs> of us could both of us could have basically told the other one, no, no, these are the ten. Cause I would just, I, well, I shouldn't, but I would have trusted you cause I would have been too lazy to do the work. Um, I wanted to do this one cause it seemed like, okay, that seems like a, I guess a small, small guy's character study. Like mm-hmm. before we get into like, you know, his war pictures or Westerns, these right. epics, uh, let's go with a guy like a common man at the time. Cause this is a modern ish film, correct? Absolutely. I mean, I know it's, I believe it's a remake of a 1929, 1929. version. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, which we also, I, don't, I did not watch. I don't know about you, Dave. <laughs> I didn't do that much research. No, <laughs> okay. I did not. <laughs> uh, but I think it definitely would speak to the times, uh, even though it's set in Ireland. Uh, and also very well thought of, like it got nominated for all these, all these awards. Uh, like it, best director, it won right? four Oscars. Yeah. Best director, best actor, best writing, best score. So, you know, it seemed like a, an easy pick out of the out of the early films before the kind of more well known stuff to modern audiences. Do you should we get into the film itself? Yeah, um, yeah, okay. might as well. Go ahead, please. <laughs> I started this about three or four different times, like uh, almost, almost quite a. I'd say almost a month ago, I started this and I texted you, and I think I made about ten minutes. I was like, Jesus, this is. <laughs> I mean, this is a bear. Like, well, I've already like, and, and it's only like an hour and 30 minutes or something. It's short, but not long, but it's like, it is a, uh, okay. First off, it looks really, looks really good. I mean, 1935, very atmospheric. Uh, unfortunately that atmosphere is, uh, their lives are bleak. <laughs> There's not much <laughs> yes. hope. Uh, and they're, they're put, you know, it's about this guy who's caught in between the sort of thankless war uh, and is not accepted by either side. Is talked to like a dog, and even when he makes decisions, even for his himself, friends are like, "Well, you're an idiot. Like, yeah. you were never the brains." Ah, you poor fathead! Think of all the jobs we pulled off together, the scrapes we've come through. Ah, we were a great pair, eh, Jippo? But your muscle and my brain, when you get into a tight place, it was me that formed the plan and thought a way out. Remember? And I'll leave you alone for a minute and you go and get in trouble again. Man alive, I'm your brain. Nothing <laughs> is uh, nothing is ever good enough here. And I really tried hard to put myself in the shoes of 1935 Mike doing a podcast with 1935 Dave. And I probably really would have liked it because yep. the, the modern film I kept coming back to was uh, Shame, was Michael Fassbender. I was trying to think of a film that was like, there's not a lot that happens, mm-hmm. 
and we kind of have a, a really good sketch of the character uh-huh. that doesn't alter that much. But you do you do see a genuine arc as far as his emotions, but he never really corrects himself in any way that presents like an identifiable arc we would want from movies. Yeah, I think there is with this character, there is his actual self and then who he wants to be. And he right. never, ever comes close to who he wants to be because the movie is kind of set up at the beginning of like, well, you know, he's going to end up doing this terrible thing, but for a good reason. Right. He's going to rat out his buddy, but he's going to be able to take his girl to the United States. Right? A new life. A new right? life. To get start out of over. And, yeah, and of, of course, he doesn't yeah. do any of that. He does turn in his friend, but then proceeds to, you know, drink and party all of that money away. And, yeah. he, he and not buys, very long, uh, like just a couple nights. Like, just... So you buy fish and chips for everyone. Yep. You know, they get them wrapped up in their uh, very buys sanitary newspapers. Yes. Yeah. Um, he's not... <laughs> he's not... a very paranoid uh, about people, you know, knowing it was him because he's at that point, he's too drunk to realize he should be paranoid about people, him flashing cash everywhere. Um, Yeah. The reason I kept trying to put myself in that headspace was, I was like, well, this is also like a really somber, like opening to 1996 swingers where it's Vegas, baby (laughs) Vegas. Yeah. (laughs) Where where John Favreau just gets cleaned out and it's like not the life that he had hoped for, but he kind of talked himself into it and all that he's going to, you know, have is pain and suffering from that point on. Um, What I dislike about it, you know, mentioning shame is that Michael Fassbender is suffering, but the world in a modern film, I don't feel like we have to have the world judge that character that much. We we can we can be satisfied with that just internal struggle. Uh, of course, in that time period, you have to have, you know, supporting characters or you know the, the world they live in sort of judge them for their mm-hmm. sins in some way. Uh, and I, and you know that's not as interesting to me. It's unfair to hold that against a film from this time. Right. But clearly, you have to bring in the religious. You know, iconography, and you also have to have a. You know, well, especially that like, it's like I mean, let's be honest. This is set in Ireland in the 1930s, so there's going to be religious iconography no matter what. Like, don't you pretty... think they were like you know a couple <laughs> dudes like us at the time? It's like not interested. It. Not I'm for good. Me. <laughs> <laughs> I think one thing that you know we may we may be in danger of leaving out is that I think sometimes when we look at directors of this time it's easy to brush over things that for the time were actually pretty incredible like there's a lot of there's a lot of tricks with light and shadow and kind of superimposing what's going on uh in the world around him just with you know just with our lead character's face that like probably had never really been done before at this point and it's still really effective like you have but it you, can look kind of hokey now it does I mean, it look hokey look, now. at times like 100%. you're watching a segment of Sin City and you're like, well, this is shit. This this isn't that great, (laughs) but it's a great, it's a great shortcut for this character, right? If you're only going to spend 90 minutes with them, you know, you have to have moments of him looking pensive and trying to figure things out and then superimposing what's actually going on. Like whether it be, you know, the wanted poster or the cops, you know, running by in the background or, or, you know, him being covered in shadow until he, until he he gets forgiven by, you know, the right people and the church and everything else that happens at the end. And it's, it's really actually impressive for the time because it does, even though there are moments where it feels hokey, it still feels modern. Uh, it, it feels like something that could be recreated now. So it doesn't surprise me that you told me that Spielberg watches this movie before he uh, before he directs a new film because there's a lot of good stuff in here. And 
I mean, not to denigrate the performance. The performance is fine. Um, I'm not a big fan of the lead performance here. Oh, uh, really? But, I actually liked his oh, stuff. Okay. For me, Mainly it's mostly mostly drunk. the director. Well, there you go. <laughs> he, was, for, he was actually drunk on set. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, for me, most of the stuff I really like is directorial choices. So it it was nice to kind of watch this because, I mean, this isn't a movie I'm going to be like, hey, everyone should run out and see it. But it is, for me, a nice introduction to remind me, like, no, this is a great director. Like, look what he's doing with, you know, black and white photography, with minimal sets, with you know, a relatively small cast. I mean, you have the kind of people drinking at the bar and the people at the, you know, what amounts to a whorehouse, but like you have like basically like three characters in this entire piece. Uh, and it's still, I think, especially after the first 10 or 15 minutes moves along pretty quickly after that. The first 10 or 15 minutes are rough. It's pretty rough. Yeah, <laughs> I agree. It wasn't, it wasn't as bad, unfortunately, because I really want to come on to this show. This uh, guy sucks. John yeah, Ford's I really garbage. Want to go on the attack. Um, I actually, I like the lead performance. I like pretty much all the performances, uh, because even the side characters are, you know, if, <laughs> if he gives them a, uh, a buck or two, uh, buys them a drink, uh, he, he's, he's their next door neighbor again. You know, Friends he's the guy life. from the streets that they grew up with and, you know, they overlook his sins, his, uh, his character flaws. Uh, if he's not, then he's suspect. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, you know, I, I didn't research, uh, this particular, you know, point in time and uh, early 20s Dublin. Um, but I think <laughs> you've probably seen enough bad movies about the right. IRA at this point where you're like, yeah, yeah, they had something, some sort of feud that just went on and on over there, right? It's never stops. <laughs> never stops. Uh, yeah, I remember you two made a couple of pop songs about that. Yeah, I got it. <laughs> yeah, um, it's Sunday, bloody Sunday. We're good. That's. But it, it, uh, it plays you know, plays to the strengths of the uh, character dynamics. Cause most of these people, it's not like I remember the characters names, you know, it's just like <laughs> funny old guy, one funny, funny old guy too, because they're, you they just need him. to know Jippo. That's, that's all you need to know. They say his name about 50 times in this movie. So. I that you know, that actually threw me off. Cause I'm like, what is that? How do you spell that? I was, I was just like, you know, just, he's just sad old boxer, dude. And you know, he just like, he just looks like a, an old beaten down man. And that's mm-hmm. all I need to know. Then you call him Jippo. And I think we're in like a Charles Dickens novel or something <laughs> where it's like a little kid on crutches. Um, but I know I liked, I liked all the characters here. Uh, it, it's one of those. that's even once you get into it, you pr- it probably should make you mad because as you said, they sort of set up, um, you know, the reasoning for his betrayal of his, his friend is, you know, pretty much the exact amount to turn him in could set up a new life for him. Mm-hmm. And his, and that, you know, his guilt and shame carries him to even poor decisions, right? Like he has to sort of drink away that guilt yep. and he likes the way that feels like sort of forgetting how he got to that point. And, he, and it's one of those things that even if no one physically reprimands or harms him, it's probably even more depressing if he gets away with it completely. Right. Cause eventually, you know, when he wakes up, he's going to be hung over, but he's going to be of sober ish mind mm-hmm. and know what he is and know what he's capable of doing. And, and to not even make anything of it. Like, I, I don't know. Like it's, it's already like a great sin to send a man that's your friend to his death just mm-hmm. to set up a new life. But I bet, you know, some in the audience would argue like, well, at least he's in America now. At least, you know, at least he's away from all that. Right. He'll do right. better now. Right. But he doesn't. It's, it's just bleak. It is an incredibly yeah. bleak movie. I was surprised to read that this was, uh, you know, 
not that it was critically well received, but that it was a, a hit, you know, after <laughs> yeah. this actually got like, you know, the, the Oscar push, which I guess existed, you know, in the, in the early, early days where after it got the critical acclaim, that actually meant something unlike this podcast, Dave, which will <laughs> steer no one to check this out. Yeah, it was interesting for me to, to watch that beginning because I was glad that I knew that John Ford got his start in silent film because I think I was, I was more forgiving of that introduction than I might have been because there is a scene where he kind of, you know, he attacks some man on the street because he's, you know, this guy is propositioning his girl um, who is becoming a streetwalker at this point. So, you know, that's that guy's just doing what you do. That guy wasn't <laughs> totally in the wrong. No. You're saying, yeah. For, for making that suggestion. Yeah. I mean, yeah. There. Uh, and they have a like very brief fight sequence. Uh that is very oddly shot. It's like weirdly sped up and it feels like, it feels like a Charlie Chaplin action sequence. Mm-hmm. And I was just kind of like, Ugh. and I was, and I was very, I was very kind of struck by it and kind of like how annoyed by this I was. And I was like, Oh, right. I have to remember the time period this was made in. Like, you know, we don't have structure for action sequences yet. Like, and I think that'll be kind of, it'll probably be a repeated issue but i think they get around it in his later films by focusing on war and focusing on on the western and then it's like a lot of this stuff is done from a distance right it's gunfights whereas this is kind of in your face and trying to be trying to have this moment where you're like oh i'm in it and it just comes off at least to modern on audiences is pretty comedic there's a lot of exaggerated sort of fake slaps from this yes. big former brawler which i mean he's got he's a big dude he so, is I a mean, big I dude guess, yeah i guess that works um there's kind of an awkward <laughs> stairway shootout, which I found in the moment I found kind of comical, not making fun of like the way it was shot, but I'm like, wait, is this supposed to be darkly funny? And I read somewhere, I forget now where uh, Ford, like, you know, looking back on this film so that it basically wasn't funny enough. Like there weren't, like he should have put in a little bit more humor. And I'm thinking like, yeah, I thought you were already kind of lean that way because there's this, you know, the, the poor guy who gets ratted out by a uh, Jippo here. Um, just trying he's to visit his family, just trying to have a meal. Well, he, he does that, and you know his family is loyal. I guess his mom and his his sister. Yeah, uh, to the point of like getting in front of men with guns. That's really and he's, loyal. He's yelling at them to get out of the way, like so hey, he you can don't need shoot to block cops. Me. <laughs> I've got a gun too, and you know it's gonna work out, and uh, it does not. <laughs> no, <laughs> I mean, it works out for a little while, but uh, you know then he tries to escape out the window, and there's like I don't know how many cops are after this guy, but it's a lot. Like, but then again, you know his, what, his bounty is enough to get from Ireland to the United States. So that's, you know, I'll tell you the thing that stays the same is that <laughs> white cops going after a white criminal, very restrained when they're, when they're showing up to bear because <laughs> they allow <laughs> the, you know, sister to get out of the way and they just take the bullet. They're not, yeah. they're not shooting. Okay. <laughs> let's go move off to the left. Yeah. Ow. Yeah. yeah. It's yeah. You know, but I, I also did like that there's a there's a shot at the very end with him, you know, trying to climb out the window and ends up, you know, getting shot by the cops. And it kind of lingers on his on his hand on the sill um, as as he falls and kind of the fingernail scrape right before he falls. And I thought that was like a nice, uh, a nice, a nice little directorial moment there that you didn't see so much in these older films where they actually kind of took the time to show that sequence. Um, well, the nails scraping and just, of course, knowing that this is now, you know, the last, you know, death rattles, that hand loosening its grip. There's an extra element of pain, discomfort there, as mm-hmm. opposed to, you know, 
gunshot sound effect man just right. falls. Right. So yeah, I, I also appreciate those. I mean, it's a cool looking shot. I mean, there there's definitely moments in here that work. It's just, <laughs> it's a tough one going back this far where it's like, okay, Dave, here's a question. If you bought this, like during the Criterion sale, which one of the tweets when I looked up, someone said, hey, uh, you know, check this out on Criterion. Barry Jenkins had recommended uh, a remake of this film, um, I think from the 60s. Uh, I'll try to find it. But if you had bought this version, say there's a Criterion, which I don't know if there is or not, would you feel good about your purchase or would you be like, yeah, I'm never going to watch that again, but it's now it's in my collection. This is one of those that, I feel like if you're a John Ford fan, you probably will have more appreciation for it going back. But if you kind of watch this in a vacuum, probably not so much, right? It's not a bad movie, but it's certainly like as I was watching it, it, you know, when we go through this process of watching these great directors, I think there's a danger of us like, okay, you better fucking impress me. Like you're, you're a great director. So here we go. Here's my introduction to John Ford. And it is a little in that sense, a little bit disappointing, um, but I think it's nice to have the process. You know, we're going to get to see this, and then we're going to get to see him grow as a director because this is the transition, not only for John Ford, but for the entire industry of filmmaking, going from silent films to films with dialogue and how that kind of changes things because you don't have the kind of title card moments of like, this is what they're saying. You don't have those interruptions. So it's, it's a very different flow. And I think you can feel that there are moments where you're like, I feel like we should be moving quicker or moving slower. And they haven't quite figured out the pacing. My big issue with this movie though, is I'm, and maybe it's the kind of being raised with religion and no longer being religious aspect, but it was very hard for me to accept this forgiveness at the very end. It felt rushed to me. It felt like it needed more other than him just going, oh, by the way, I I had your, your kid killed. Sorry, is it okay? Yes, I forgive you. And then, you know, the light shines and he's forgiven and he dies, but he has his happy ending here. And it wasn't as convincing as I wanted it to be. It was I informed on your son, Mrs. McPhil. Forgive me. I forgive you. You didn't know what you were doing. You didn't know what you were doing. Frankie! Frankie! Your mother forgives me! Hmm. Man, that's funny. Like that worked for me too. Like I, I'm not just saying that in a cynical way. Like I'm glad it's over. <laughs> like, just forgive me. Roll credits, just please. Roll credits. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, I mean, I, I felt like they got, it got a very blue collar aspect of war down mm. that I like. And I wonder if I won't find this in other films that he's doing. Like after Five came back, I wonder if that spirit remains or if. It was, you know, maybe a little too patriotic for my liking. I'm not asking for him to be like Oliver Stone <laughs> you know, during the 40s, but uh, I feel like this one, you know, it kind of refuses to look at the big picture. And that's what I liked about it is mm. these men that are dying for something that, you know, the only thing meaningful about it is going to be their close to their close friends and family, to that mother that lost a son and now lost a guy who, you know, even in his death throes is just filled with shame and regret, mm-hmm. you know, and that's, that's, and she gives him that, that kindness and that courtesy. Mm-hmm. Uh, I found the tweet it is from Christina Newland uh, from April 
24th. Um, so this is probably like the seventh tweet down, Dave. You're really picking <laughs> them here. Um, that said, next month on the Criterion channel, Barry Jenkins is presenting uh, Jules Dassin, Dassin's uh, Uptight, which I think came out in 1968 as a remake of John Ford's The Informer and is uh, set uh, with black revolutionaries and one of them betrays their own. And I'm actually kind of interested hmm, in checking that out. So yeah. I may not watch this film again, but, but yeah, this I'll may check be out your, another version. Yeah. Absolutely. I doubt I'll go back to the 1929 version, but let's go to probably not. Let's go yeah. more modern. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm really glad you brought up this idea of how bleak it was. Cause I mean, this sounds strange that that's kind of, it's kind of what I liked about it. Uh, that does not sound strange at all. <laughs> well, you know me better than most people know me. It might sound strange to our listeners. Um, but I like that we have all this setup in the beginning. I mean, all. It's like five, ten minutes, right? But like you have the, all the setup for this character is like, oh, you're supposed to be rooting for this guy. He wants to do the right thing for him and his girl. He wants to start over. He's been wronged. Okay, this is his chance. It's not the best situation you know he still has to do something terrible but he's gonna he's gonna do something terrible and then use that to do something good and then like within moments of him turning in his friend because of that guilt and shame that he needs to be forgiven for at the end everything just goes to crap right away like there's not even there's not even a hint that he's gonna do the right thing <laughs> like it's just like kind of immediately like just goes oh god everything is terrible Time to get drunk. Time to eat a bunch of fish and chips with these strangers and make them like me so I don't have to think about this. And I kind of love that, like, you have to you have to fill in the blanks either yourself or through the performance that that guilt and shame is there because he's just so focused on on denying it and tapping into anger instead of any kind of regret. And I love that it just kind of dives into that. It doesn't waste a lot of time with either dialogue about it or him spending time alone thinking about it. It's just like, no, it's actually more realistic in this way of just like, let me just kind of dive into alcohol and food and people. So I never have to think about this terrible thing that I've done, even if I was doing it for the right reasons to begin with. You know, and thankfully he's not a very good liar either. Oh, like there's scenes where he's trying to pin it on someone else uh, who he, you know, when asked, who do you think the, the rat is? Who's the, who's the informer? Uh, you know, I mean, it's not even, not even bothering to really try to be um, adept at selling the story. He just, you know, just wants to get out of the room, wants to, you know, pat someone on the, the arm and like just remain friends. Um, and it fits his character, right? Like they have yeah. that whole sequence when his friend shows up again. And it's just like you were never the brains. And I don't, and, you know, we joked about that earlier, but I don't think that that guy is being harsh or being mean. He's just, you know, you're the muscle. You know, and I, I'm the one with the plans. That was our, that was how we interacted. You need me. I need you. And now, you know, to get. Maybe not the best thing to say when you are worth, there's a price on your head to, you know, yeah. challenge someone. Maybe not worth that risk. You know what? You've never had a plan in your life. <laughs> <laughs> never had two brain cells to rub together. Sorry, buddy. I'll, uh, I'll show you, buddy. I know who I'll pick up the phone. I'll, uh, yeah, I'll. I got a plan now. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I'm interested, you know, obviously, in, you know, remake. Um, I, I don't think in particular this would be something that, you know, would be like remade now because it's such a slight story that right. <laughs> you'd have to be a real big film snob to be like, you know, the informer coming out in 2019. I mean, overall, I would cautiously recommend this right. to people. But I think you hit it on the head that. Uh, maybe if you have watched some of John Ford's more populist films and you kind of want to 
you know, give the, I guess, get the context for it. And you think, man, Mike and Dave suck so much ass. Uh, then watch this movie because clearly, you know, we didn't do our job. Yes. It's a, it's a good way to look at things. Um, yeah. I, like, like you said, like it's, it's, I tentatively enjoyed it. Like it's, it's one of those that like looking back on it, I think I enjoy it more than the process of watching it. Like as I was watching, I was kind of like, this is a little bit of a struggle, Okay, it's, you know, it's 1933. Okay, let's just push through. And now looking back on it, there's a lot, there's a lot good about it, uh, which is a kind of a, a nice experience because usually it's the other way around. Like, I'll kind of enjoy a movie and I'll think about it and be like, actually, there's a lot of holes in this. I don't, eh, I don't know if I can recommend this, but this one grows in my estimation a little bit the, the more I think about it. I'm not going to go that far. I'm not going to, yeah, no, yeah, I've been over backwards for Mr. Ford because, as we said, he's long dead. He's in the it's, ground. So I can whatever. gain nothing from helping this man. So right. uh, why would I bother? And, you know, I don't think there are any cool points you can, you know, <laughs> get online for uh, saying, you know what, John Ford, pretty good filmmaker. He's all right, uh, but it's not bad. Look, there are plenty of podcasts that will give you that horse shit. Um, and <laughs> I assure you they're not getting laid because of it. So I don't know why they do it. I don't know who they're trying to impress. 100%. Uh, but a uh, little peek behind the curtain. I won't announce it because it, you know, you've got to keep listening and get to the end of this John Ford uh, <laughs> retrospective, which, you know, I, I assume will get better. Um but because of my struggles with the first 10 minutes of the informer, uh, I, we had to like, you basically had to give me the carrot instead of the stick <laughs> I did. and say, all right, let's just go ahead and get our next selected filmmaker. And we're going in a completely different direction. We're, <laughs> we're moving the ball right up to the eighties Oh yes. and we're going populist. Yes. We're going with popcorn. So, uh, so Maybe I get, was a little bit easier on the informer because I actually did, you know, my double feature as we're recording them is doing one and one. Yeah, <laughs> you know, it'll be uh, it'll be interesting to record look, that next. Dave is nothing if not a conniving, but uh, you know, <laughs> adept, uh, an agile podcast host, knowing how <laughs> to get the best <laughs> or just to get something out of his co-host. That's so, right, just anything at all. Yep. So you kind of mentioned like you expect it to get better. So where are you with John Ford kind of going? going forward is yeah i'm definitely more interested in the uh the war pictures you know the ones that we're gonna select for this show uh seeing them in that context where there is that sort of cynical take on how it affects uh you know the literally the men on the streets here um obviously the, with the caveat that it's you know going to be in a completely different setting um and a different time period that they're going to cover but i'm more interested in that right now than the westerns and I don't know if that's the informer or if that's just because you don't like I've Westerns. <laughs> I do like Westerns. And those are the only two things that I've seen right. are in the Western setting. So I, I think I'm like you at the start of the show where I'm, I am a little more interested in the unseen stuff. than I'm revisiting the mm -hmm. things I've previously enjoyed. Right. Yeah. For me, it's, <laughs> it's interesting. It made me very happy that I had seen a couple of his movies before. So I had, some things that I knew I enjoyed to to look forward to because I think if I had come into this totally blind, I my expectations might be a little bit lowered. Again, not that the Informer is a bad movie, but it's certainly not something that you're like, "Wow, that was fantastic! What a what a fun romp that was!" Like it's it was bleak and it's got some work to do, and so it would be one of those things like, oh, "I don't know what to what I have to look forward to." Like, is it all going to be like this? Like, is this you know we've we've talked behind the scenes about certain filmmakers like, it, not that they're bad. It's just like this is not for me. 
Uh, so like I recently saw Jim Jarmusch's uh, most recent movie, The Dead Don't Die, and I was like, yeah, I'm kind of over you this. Sleep? Uh, Did you sleep at all? I should have. I absolutely mm. should have. Mm. Uh, and it's just, it's again, not that they're badly made movies. They're just not for me. There's one Jarmusch movie I like, and I've seen probably seven or eight of his movies. So at this point... Spoiler. He is not the selective filmmaker for next is, month. He is not. <laughs> uh, maybe in 2029, we'll get to Jim Jarmusch to really, really let's, put me through it. Let's pace ourselves, man. That's a little, <laughs> that's just around the corner. <laughs> okay. 2045. How about that? But 2049, yeah. then we'll, we'll be at the, the Blade Runner, <laughs> the Blade Runner point. So we can, I can watch something that I, that I hate just as much. Uh, so <laughs> that'll be Ooh, good. All right. <laughs> So good night. I'm supposed to be the uh, the hated, but you know, I guess slightly lovable scamp. And uh, there goes Dave hating I'm just on going Blade Runner. Go ahead and Only Blade right. Runner 2049. Uh, so yeah, our our next two movies. And I actually realized as I was putting together this schedule that there was another John Ford movie that I had seen that I didn't even realize was a John Ford movie. Uh, so we're going to watch Stagecoach, which we both have seen before, and we're also going to watch Grapes of Wrath. Uh, which I watched um, in high school in a class. Um, I don't really oh, remember. So you're counting that, huh? Yeah, I mean, so I had the same thing, but I'm not counting it because I wasn't paying attention. So I was a very good student, Mike. This is I Shut was. Up. I, was I, I feel attention. like you're just trying to give yourself points that you don't deserve. I was a better student then than I am now. Let's put it that okay. way. Right. I actually cared. Uh, so yeah, so uh, those are both available. Um, I don't know if they're available free streaming, but they're available online so if you want to watch uh both of those i know stagecoach is on the criterion uh streaming network if you have that and there's all sorts of extras that you can check out for that uh and the grapes of wrath i think is on you know amazon and itunes and that kind of stuff so it's not free it i looked is, it up this morning and i was like free. that son of a bitch like <laughs> come on man um it's not that expensive though to even purchase so you go well, according to my app it is now 6.99 on voodoo that's not bad. We're giving you lots of content for free, so you can, you know, cop up the seven bucks for Grapes of Wrath. It's a good sure. It's, I'm sure on it's Walmart a good service. Feel <laughs> yes. good about yourself giving Walmart more money. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so, any last words before we close up this episode? Oh goodness, last words. You want me to give a definitive? Yes, you know, yes. Out give the, the, the eulogy informer? to this episode. To this podcast, just uh, the episode. You, you got more to do. Yeah. Uh, anyone listening out there? Any, anyone interested the next time Dave gives me a, a painful, painful first 10 minutes of a movie uh, and, and doing like a we could do a live, you know, 10 minute watch. Would that be that would offend people? The type of audience you're going for, it would offend them if I was live tweeting the first 10 minutes of something I found <laughs> awful. I would like it. So I think you should do it. This is really about me. I'm the one paying for hosting. So I'm the only one putting in money on this well, so <laughs> like now i'm like being shilled out to do like live tweets or something yes do it like a, i'm uh, renting you out that's, that's all right i'll try to do something for the first 10 minutes of grapes of wrath how about that all right sounds good so tune in next time when we talk about stagecoach and the grapes of wrath <laughs>